Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of the Nordic Football Podcast. It's uh, been a really juicy period of late. Uh, European results, the domestic leagues have been crazy. Transfer deadline day and, and, and the days building up to it. It just feels like a real culmination of stuff here and I'm delighted to be joined by Jonathan Fredugba, my partner in crime. Uh, how are you doing? Hi everyone, hi Steve. Meatman Soccer himself, we're back and... Uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you to all our Patreon followers. So you guys know who you are. Just want to say a quick shout out to you guys straight at the beginning of this show. And yeah, happy to be here. Transfer deadline day just ended. Jim White has just put his tie away and we are ready for this week's episode. It's going to be a good one, I think. And there's a lot to talk about. Do you know what? There's so much to talk about here. We've got uh, European roundups. We've got, say, domestic league roundups. We've been loads of new signings to talk about and departures. Um managers as well we've got stuff going about listener questions new managerial appointments for next season and, and we may even be talking about some um sort of norwegians abroad as well in whatever form so um well i guess we're gonna have to start off with the european night um and it, it, thursday in fact the, probably the whole week actually jonathan was a, a disaster really for scandinavian football i'm afraid um just not enough really happened on, in a positive way and we've ended up with very not many sides actually qualifying for the group stages yeah i think on that front it's not been the best of um seasons has it uh we were both sort of watching the games live on, on thursday we had the we had the show last week previewing all the all the games um for all the teams in scandinavia more or less and uh well two big ones from our point of view um well it was Malmo and Rosenborg didn't go too well, did it? It didn't. And I mean, we, we kind of expected that, um, but there's always hope, isn't there? And I felt that, you know, things kind of go your way that maybe one of them could sneak through. There was also a big hope from the Faroe Islands team, KI, uh, but they just didn't quite have enough to get past the Dundalk, did they, in that? Um, but even, even FC Copenhagen got knocked out. Uh, an unbelievably ridiculous goal. I'm sort of sure you saw that, the one that got them knocked out. Um, but yeah, bad night all around. Mulder obviously have qualified for the group stage from Norway, but only because they lost in the final round of the Champions League playoff. Um, the Danish uh, Micheland uh, qualified uh, for the Champions League uh, group stage, so well done to them. Um, but it's been nothing from Sweden, I'm afraid, this year. I think Cups were the final Finnish team knocked out. Um, you just you kind of hope for a little bit more, don't you, from Scandinavia, but it wasn't to be. Yeah, and um, you know, from from Malmo's point of view, they'll miss out on about sort of three to five million euros in terms of qualification money uh, with their defeat against Granada. I mean, it was it was a really tough draw for them to be honest. Let, let's be fair. Um, any team in Alsvenskan playing a La Liga team, you, you're going to be massive underdogs. Uh, to be honest, it wasn't really that. Uh, it was small margins, I felt, and I just I just felt that it was kind of a team with a little bit more know-how, a bit more nous. Just a little bit extra quality that that really um, decided the game. It, it really wasn't um, huge margins between the two sides. Granada took took the lead with uh, you know a pretty simple goal. Um, Jonas Knudsen got caught down down as one side, and uh, Matisse tapped in across. You know, sloppy defending from from uh, from Malmo. Got a bit feisty during the game. You know, uh, the racket went down, holding his face, and there was some there were some issues in that sense. But but. Mama got back into it, and um, you know, I think they could have could have maybe won this game. To be honest, I think it was a bit of a missed opportunity. I didn't think Granada were as good as maybe you might have thought pre-match. Looking at their team, um, Joe Inga Burgett 
you know scored an equalizer but second half it was just they 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 managed to take the weight you know they they lost their con- concentration a little bit um their left hand side was was quite weak uh, they scored from a, a throw in we talked about throw ins and the importance of them and they managed to to do that but uh, yeah second half granada just showed a little bit of extra quality in in key moments really poor marking from malmo as well Pu- puerta scored one uh, and then some big misses as well. Arnel Armehodzic missed a, a big chance. And yeah, that was it really. So, um, you know, Granada managed to get a third and it was game over. So um, I think the one key takeaway I would say, and I think this is a, a lesson maybe for Osvenskan teams maybe going forward, it's, it's difficult to implement it, isn't it? But just that know-how. Um, we, we talked about just being, for want of a better word, that shithousery, you know, just being like really nasty. Yeah. Um, and making the most of those key situations. Granada, as soon as they, they were leading, they were killing time. They were sort of going down. They were winning, drawing fouls. They had that know-how, and uh, Malmo just didn't have it, and they didn't take the initiative at the moments when they when they needed to. And really, I think that was the key. It wasn't the technical quality as such on the day. Um, it was actually the just lack of maybe big game experience at that level in terms of against La Liga opponents. Yeah, I mean, I saw that tweet, and um, I, I guess that comes from being battle hardened in in La Liga, doesn't it, and and, and such like that. Um, I mean, it's a shame from Malmo's point of view. Clearly, Granada were not listening to the Nordic football podcast, were they? They would have picked up on that long throw uh, that you were uh, quite rightly highlighted pre-match. And um, I mean, I'll just go to the Rosenborg game now, and it was a, a two-nil loss to PSV. To be honest, they were never really in it. It always felt like PSV just had the extra bit of class. You know, and quality. I was quite impressed actually with PSV. I think I could see them certainly qualifying from the group stage and maybe getting a run to somewhere like the quarterfinals. They look to have some decent players in all areas of the field. The lad up front, um, I think he's Israeli. I'm not sure. Big fella, anyway. He's he's, he's quite old. Uh, he, he was causing all sorts of problems. He scored the opening goal um, anyway for, for them. But they, they look a decent side. And Rosenborg, um, they can hold their head up high a little bit, but they were just. Just outclassed, really. It's just the way it is, isn't it? Um, I think when when you're the underdog in this sort of game, you needed the crowd, and it's not there. So, you know, it's a shame it's over. But there are two teams from Scandinavia that have qualified um, in the Champions League. Michelin, they've got, landed a plum draw, really. They've got Liverpool, Ajax, and Atalanta. I mean, they're not going to qualify out of that group, are they? But fair play, they've got a, some nice teams to, to draw there. Maybe they might even fancy their chances against Liverpool after what we saw. On um, the other night, uh, their uh, what Villa did to them, <laughs> but um, then Molder in the Europa League have got uh, a cracking draw as well. Really, Arsenal, Rapid Vienna, and Dundalk. I mean, I really like that draw, and um, you know, it really caught my eye. Certainly, Arsenal. We, we, we've come across them before, haven't we, on this uh, Nordic football podcast? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, taking a step back from it all, uh, quite an interesting. Well maybe worrying outcome of it is there's only one Norwegian team and not a single Swedish team in the Champions League or Europa League group stages this season. Um, you mentioned there, obviously, Mulder, the team who, who will be representing. And then, you know, there's a couple of, obviously, there's Dan- you know, a Danish side as well. Um, FC Copenhagen, like you say, you've got, to, you've got to Google that goal that knocked them out. If you've not seen it, an incredible <laughs> calamity of errors. Something out of uh, Keystone Cops at that moment. Wasn't it? Ridiculous. Um, but yeah, you know, if you look at it, I mean, there's a Cypriot, there's one Cypriot team, there's one Irish team, there's one Polish team, there's one Swiss team, there's one Hungarian team. Um, you know, you've got two Scottish teams, you've got two Israeli teams, you've got two Bulgarian teams. 
you know, three Greek teams, three Czech teams, no Swedish teams, and only one Norwegian side. Is it is it a, is it a cause for concern, Steve, in general about Scandinavia? And do you think it's just a you know, there's been some comments on Twitter that it's it's, a, it's just a bad year, and there's been some comments that this is a you know worrying trend. What are your thoughts? I don't think the coefficients are high enough. Ultimately, there's always so many tough draws. But the other problem I always find is that the best teams from the, the previous year don't oft, aren't often the best team the next year. Like for example, like Budaglimt's the best side in Norway this season. If they were in the Champions League draw and had the same draw that Molde had, I think they probably would have made the the, the group stage. The other thing with Norway is the, the Norwegian Cup winners make it through to Europe and, and that was Viking and, and at the start of this qualifying run they weren't in necessarily great form um, they found a bit of form now but even they come up against Aberdeen who I mean, you could say that's a sort of match you've probably got to be winning haven't you in a one-off um, but look there's been some tough draws out there the, the coefficient needs to improve that we need we need to get sides qualifying out of group stages when they get in there Jonathan you know uh, otherwise this is going to continue consistently um it is worrying certainly for sweden that it didn't really look like i mean only malmo actually even got to the final round didn't they at least in in norway you know rosenborg um got to the final uh, game and and, and buda glint actually were very very competitive um but uh, yeah it's it's a concern I, I would definitely say that yeah i think you know the one counterpoint to that is perhaps maybe it's a sign that we have competitive leagues here you know, and um, I think certainly if you look at, say, for example, Croatia or if you look at uh, other maybe leagues around the world, uh, around sort of maybe the lesser European leagues, you know, quote unquote, um, you have one team who really dominates the league, don't they? They're winning by 15 points every season. Yeah. We were there a few years ago with, with Malmo when they were dominating. But the extra competitiveness, there's a trade off there, isn't there? Because the more, com- you know, you had Rutgersburg winning it all the time. It's almost like you either have to have one dominant force who then just takes all that their resources to challenge in Europe, or you have to live with the kind of challenges. But then you have to accept that they're going to share the pot around, and that's going to maybe decrease the quality when it comes to playing. You know, the big boys. If Malmo win the league this season, then they're going to you know have another crack at it. But you know, if if Hacken, for example, win the league, which isn't out of the question, you know, it might be unlikely, but it's going to be harder for them, isn't it, to get into the Champions League because they they they've never done it before. So um, there is a trade-off there, isn't there? And I suppose it depends. Do you want a competitive domestic league or do you want one team dominating it and, and going on? Obviously, some leagues have the benefit of both, but uh, certainly it's a, it's a difficult question, that, isn't it? One to consider. I mean, one thing I will say going forward, and it's not often I'll praise UEFA, and I was very dubious initially, but maybe the conference league when it comes into operation. Now, is that next season or the season after? It might be a good thing for the, the leagues that we cover in Scandinavia. Um, there'll be more chance for teams to expose themselves in, in a group in a group stage of the Conference League. So perhaps going forward, that is a positive. It just seems very, very it's very hard for anyone to, to qualify for the Champions League group stage now with the, the system they have it. But there's no reason why we, we shouldn't be getting more teams in, in certainly in the Conference League going forward. Europa League, I think, I don't think hardly anyone out of Scandinavia will actually qualify for the main Europa League going forward, if, if memory serves me correct. Yeah, I've not looked into it, but you know, looking at the coefficients, um, just for reference, the, the best team in Scandinavia in terms of uh, UEFA coefficients is uh, FC Copenhagen, as, as anyone will probably expect, in 36th place. You know, that's that's behind the likes of Olympiakos, CSK, Moscow, and Inter Milan. But it's actually above the likes of Braga, Lazio, Monaco, Ghent, PSV, Wolfsburg. So you know, they're, they're quite well placed. 
but you've got to go way down to get to a you know Norwegian or, or Swedish team and there's a big gap there so uh, Malmo's the next in 66 so a lot to do but uh, yeah no, that's, that's the state of play in terms of Europe we, we wish Molde well I know some listeners will be definitely wishing more than anything but well <laughs> but um, we'll be covering them of course in the Europa League with some massive games against Arsenal and Dundalk as well who saw off the challenge of the Faroes and uh, yeah just before we move on uh, to domestic matters yeah it was a good good year for the Faroes wasn't it though you know the counterpoint to this it was a very positive um, campaign for them really wasn't it and a lot of unexpected uh, results they pulled off and and it looks like their their football's on the up. I mean, who knows if that had been a two-legged tie, they might have gone through. Um, or if, it, if if the match had been hosted in the Faroe Islands, maybe they would have gone through. Fantastic uh, year for the Faroe Islands um, as a whole, and not just in terms of the domestic league. Yet. I think their internet, their actual uh, international team, is doing quite well. Um, so um, it's good to see that, and maybe they can kick on going forward. Uh, let's see. I think uh, it's maybe not such a Mickey Mouse pathetic league that some people give it uh think it is because uh you know there's, there's some sides there that can hold their heads up high i think for sure now let's move on to um domestic matters there's been the transfer window as well the transfer windows in norway and sweden as well as around europe um i'm actually going to throw a listener question to you first because everybody knows buddha glimt are well clear at the top of of norway um, you can tell us the points gap in a minute. We'll, we'll, we'll briefly touch upon them and the weekend's results. But uh, firstly, I just want to talk about the obviously the end Peter Hagel move. He's moved to Milan. He played 19 minutes against Spezia Calcio, looking uh, very nice in his in, in his red and black uh, kit there. But there's been some movements in for Budigan, hasn't there? There's been a few transfers, and we've had some questions uh, from listeners about their their dealings. What what's next for Budigan in terms of regenerate regenerating that team? Well, what's interesting to me is obviously last season they 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 sold Amor Layuni was the first sale around sort of match day 22 I think it was to the Egyptian league and he had been a big player for them. Then they sold Hawkon Evie at the end of the season, and if you remember in my pre-season uh, in the podcast there I was saying ultimately they're probably going to drop down the table a little bit because you know those are big losses. But what Buda Glimt have done they've um, they've they've shook off those blows before. And they've already looked like they've shaken off the loss of Jens Peter Haug. I mean, to be fair, they would have been eyeing up uh, replacements anyway, um, already within the squad for Hauger. For example, Ola Solbakken, and Sebastian Tunekti, uh, even his own brother, Runo Hauger. Um, guys like that, Sondre Fett has come into the team this year. They can play pretty much anywhere. So already within the squad, they would have eyed that up. But they've, they've signed some players. Uh, Udgo Vettelsen from uh, Starbeck. They brought in Vega Moberg back from, uh, I mean, they had him before, I think, Silkborg in, in Denmark. He's, he's from, he was a, an ex player of them. Um, so already, Glimt are not staying, uh, standing still. They want to, it would be a shock if they didn't win the title from here. But, um, I mean, Udgo Vettelsen, I'm going to have to talk about him very soon in detail. Um, but what I like about them is they're they're not uh, they're obviously thinking long term. They've got a long term vision in place. They don't just want to win this league and then and it, this is look back as oh one, a one off season like a Leicester sort of thing. They want to try and compete regularly at the top of this elitist area. And uh, to do that, you've got to if you lose players, you've got to keep bringing in good talent. And it looks like they're doing that. Yeah, it's a, it's a deal until twenty twenty three. Um, he's been at Starbucks since he was 12 years old and he's moving on to Glimt. He said it's an incredibly fun and very exciting move for me. And 
one of the things that has attracted him there is that they they give young players a chance. He said they've proven time after time that they give young players a chance to develop. And he describes himself as a technical midfielder who can play in several roles. Uh, he says, I have a good running capacity. And this year I'm more productive in terms of goals and that kind of thing. What what kind of player is, is he, Steve, from your point of view? Very good technical player. Um, he's from the famed Starbeck Youth Academy. Uh, I'm a bit sad actually for Starbeck recently in the last sort of 18 months. They, they've just lost so many of their young prospects. Um, and, you know, Ola Bryn Hilton at the start of the season, that didn't go very well, down, down well with the fans. But a number of good young players just, you know, they keep leaving this place. And it's a shame to see. Be, I'd love to see them sort of grow up at Starbeck for another couple of years. But Vettelson is a central midfield playmaker um, who has adapted to play. Uh, out wide as well, um, who, I say, technically a great player on the ball, very balanced, skillful, and he's just a typical sort of Budaglint player. He's got a great engine on him, um, sort of player that will run all day, it will suit their pressing system, and a perfect fit for the Budaglint system. He can play in the, in the middle of the park there, and I dare say they could even convert him into one of their wingers if they had to. So, um Looks a fantastic buy. I'm sure they've had their eye on him for a while. And um, a really good young player. Still only 20 years old. So, um, fantastic acquisition. Yeah, and there's one other signing, isn't there? Vigard, like Ville Moberg. Uh, Moberg is, uh, I say, an ex-player of theirs. Midfield engine. And, uh, you know, obviously the move, I don't think, to Silkborg worked out as well as he wanted to. But again, it's, it's long-term planning, isn't it? That's the key with, with these sort of signings. You've got to think not just in the next sort of four or five months, six months, you've got to think sort of 12 months or even 18 months down the line or, or longer. Uh, but they've got a good plan in place here at Buda Glimt. And uh, I, I, what I'm really interested to see, you know, they've gone and win the gold medal this year. I would love to see them be up there competing again long term you know I want to see sides uh, mixing it with Rosenborg Mulder Volarenga look like they're ambitious again as well which is good to see you know we want to see some really top sides um, the next two or three years in the elite area and I'm a lot more hopeful than I was you know I was quite depressive like a couple of years ago wasn't I on this podcast but I'm a lot lot more excited about Norwegian football these days and I think it's heading in really in the right direction yeah and he said um, he said after signing the deal Tonight I'll be celebrating with some stockfish for dinner. So uh, hope he enjoyed his. Uh, I hope he enjoyed your stockfish there, Vigard. And why wouldn't you? Because Glimpse won seven in a row now, and they're, they're just well clear, aren't they? I mean, it's, it's it's approaching twenty points. It's unbelievable, really, isn't it? I mean, they've beaten uh, Sandy Fjord, who I'm looking at the table, and they're, you know they're, they're actually doing okay in terms of avoiding relegation, which um, you know it looks like a surprise. Maybe they they've been considered dead certs for relegation. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a it's a big win for uh, Glimt, isn't it? Takes them one step closer, and B, Sandyfield are doing okay, aren't they? Uh, this this game, I've got to give uh, Sandyfield some credit. Actually, twice this season they've played Buda Glimt, and they've only lost two one on both occasions. And I tell you what, I think they could have easily nabbed the draw in, in either of those games. That they, they, they play, Marty Sifuentes is a top coach for me. That is the battle between the two best coaches in the league this year. They went two 0 down quickly. But he didn't give up. He's, he's constantly barking instructions out there. And you know what? He got them back in the game. And they did have chances to equalise. I think the goalkeeper had a good game for Sandefjord, to be fair. He kept them in it. But they had chances to equalise. They nearly nabbed the late one in the like 92nd minute. 
and uh, you wouldn't have begrudged them it, Sandyfield. Fair play to them. They've played Boudiglin probably harder than any other team in the league this year, like genuinely. Uh, but 18 points clear at the top they are. And I think by my calculations, they only need, uh, what, six wins, five wins, something like that. I'm usually quite good at maths, but <laughs> I can't quite work it out. Uh, yeah, they, 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 um, depends on Rosenborg's results, of course, Mulder. Uh, in third place, but uh, yeah, I mean, if they're 18 points clear, yeah, Rosenborg can get 68 points. Yeah, they only need 13 points. That's not a lot of points, is it? I mean, they're still unbeaten, which I, I find <laughs> unbelievable. Can they go unbeaten the whole season? And is that even been done before in in Norway? I, well, they could do. They've got an away trip to Molde next, which might be the toughest remaining game. I mean, they've still got Rosenborg to play, so. Let's see. It's it, it, it's it's possible. They, they keep doing a professional job. Like you could say that was a match where, you know, they're coming off a, a tough week. They've lost their best player, and they got the job done. They dug one out. Uh, they weren't at their best, but they still got the three points. And, and you know, they've shown every sign of, of champions going forward. Can't praise this team uh, any higher. Really, it's it's unbelievable. Um, it, it, can they go and beat them? I always keep saying there's going to be one match somewhere where they're just not on it and nothing goes their way. You know, red card or something, or chances an opposition keeper has a blinder. So I still think somewhere someone will get a, a, a victory against them. But, you know, hell of a side, hell of a footballing side. You'll have to dig into your archives and let us know if they've ever, if anyone's ever gone a season and beaten them. I'm sure maybe it's, a, it's definitely a rare occasion. But yeah, six more wins and they're definitely guaranteed to win the title. That's if Rosenberg win every single game, which, you know, given they've lost four this season and drawn five out of 20, they might not win, need the six wins, but uh, yeah, so that's just stunning, really. But the glimp train continues to march, or well, march? Do trains march? No, continues to roll on. Um, but the battle for the medal spots here, top three, of course. You know, Wallerenga and Odd are still in there, aren't they? And Christiansen, even, mm. is not too far away from third place. Well, this really excites me, actually. Um, I think it's a hell of a battle we've got going on. Mulder. Are for me come through the second best side in the league um, on paper and, and and really in terms of performances. But they did have a, a bad slump. The European matches definitely affected them, and maybe they'll affect them again when they're in the group stage. Um, but you know, Rosenborg mold of like it's really hard to say who's going to finish second and third this year. I think there's a, a case to be made for so many different sides, and it could go right to the wire. I think um, it, it, it's, it's good stuff. All all these teams play. Pretty attractive front foot football. There's so many goals in the league this year. Like there's more. I think over 2.5 goals rate is nearly at 70, percent which is astro- even for this league, it's astronomical. It's almost like Premier League levels at the minute, where things have been a bit batshit mental this year. I, I'm convinced it's got to be something to do with a lack of crowds. Whether it's the, the pressure on the players is not as much, or the just communication's a lot easier, but there's so many goals around at the minute. But yeah, all these teams are good on the uh, attack-minded, and there's only, what, four points between six teams at the moment, between five teams. So really, it's all to play for with 10 rounds to go. I think they've all got to play each other in some form. And um, yeah, I say a really good entertaining battle. And um, I usually man for a prediction, but I, I really am yeah, struggling here. I don't, I don't even know who's going to finish second or third. Well, 10 games to go. There's still, you know, a fair way, a fair way, you know, to go, isn't there, in that one? Christensen have got games coming up. They've got uh, Rosenborg next, and then Wallerenga away, and Engenbuda Glimt, and then Mulder. So uh, good luck to them. You know, they're going to they're gonna earn it if they're going to get through that and be still in the top three. 
or sorry, top six. Um, and odd, of course, I'm wondering, I've got, got some big games coming up. But uh, we've got a question from a, a listener, uh, Steve. And I want to ask you about a transfer now. And it's a, a player called Burke Reeser. Yes. And now this was a deadline day signing. Um, Burke Reeser, a left back from odd to Molder. And uh, I think this is a tremendous pickup, actually, because, I mean, there's an article coming out soon on the Wisecout blog that I've done on Mulder. And, I, and in that article, I do note that uh, something like 13 of the last 15 goals that they conceded, the origin was actually on the right-hand side of the opposition uh, offence. Now, that for me, they've had issues on that side of the field, Mulder. Christopher Hagen hasn't been at his best this year. I mean, he's had, he's been injured. I just don't think he's come back and he's looked as sharp either. Like he was a very strong left-back last year, but it just hasn't been as good in 2020. And it's been a vulnerable area for them. And I think they certainly realised that they needed either very strong competition for him uh, or a very, very good backup. And um, Risa delivers that. He can also play anywhere on that left-hand side. Um left wing, left mid, if they want him to. In fact, I do believe he can play uh, in a lot of positions on the field. I've got him down on my on my spreadsheets, on my uh, databases as, uh, yeah, I mean, even he can even play centre-back or striker, according to me. So, you know, he's, he's such a versatile player, but primarily he's in as a left-back. And uh, I think it's a tremendous pickup for, for, for Mulder and uh, just the sort of signing they needed, really. Defensively, they've had issues this year. And, uh, I mean, I would expect him to be pushing Christopher Hagen for the start there on that left-hand side. I would go with Risa based on what I've seen this season. 84 games and five goals he scored in his time there. And, yeah, it looks like, you know, from the noises coming out, it's a really good signing. And it seems like you've given it, you know, your stamp of approval. He's, he's done a medical and looks like it's a, it's a done deal. So, um, yeah, no, there's quite a few moves between teams, isn't there, in, in, yeah. in the way at the moment? There is. I mean, there's been a few others that we need to mention. Uh, Gustav Valsvik has, has gone to Starbeck on loan from Rosenborg. It's just interesting that the um, the new manager at uh, Rosenborg has just kind of frozen Valsvik out to the bench straight away, uh, basically just brought a new guy in from Iceland. And, and Valsvik's surplus to requirements, it seems. I mean, that's a good signing for Starbeck because they've, they've lost Andreas Hans Olsen to, to, to Ghent in Belgium. That's a surprise, surprise, isn't it? Belgium again raiding Scandinavia. So Valsvik is, is is not a bad replacement there for there for him. You know what else has been going on? I mean, Holden Fred Johnson has left Olsen to Brescia in Italy. I mean, we we I think we did mention in a podcast a, a few weeks ago that he might leave the club. Or he was linked uh, with moves away, but yeah, there's been a few in, internal transfers throughout this window. You know, loans as well. Um, that's where it tends to be. I think this year, you know, in this. COVID-19 age, I think there's been more inclination to move domestically. Yeah, and those questions were from Ramon Villagelu Arnella, I think. Hopefully I pronounced that correctly. Uh, he's, he was asking about Hugo Vettelson. And Ted Cruz, my son, asked about Valsvik going on loan to Starbeck. Do you, do you want to just add anything to that? Because you mentioned it, but is there anything you want to say about Valsvik? I like Valsvik because he's just a solid sort of dependable player. Um, I get why Rosenborg kind of might have just wanted to move on from him because you know if you're that if you're at a club that ultimately you want to be ambitious and winning titles and competing in Europe, Gustav Valsvik isn't good enough for that. Um, you know he's been frozen out in, to the bench in the last sort of six to eight games, um, and 
yeah, if you can, why sit on the bench when you can start at Starbeck in the league and showcase your talents? He's a, he's a, he's a big lad. I think he can go quite well there. Um, I think it's a good move for all parties. Yeah, and you know we, we've got another uh, listener question from Lewis Turner uh, at Turner Louis J, who asks: Is it going to be tough for Starbeck to stay up now? Are they genuinely candidates for relegation after uh, Hans Olsen and Vettelsen have gone? Uh, no, they'll be fine. Uh, they're, they're well clear. I mean, they're, they're 11 points clear of the automatic relegation spot and they are seven clear of, of the uh, playoff match, which is start at the minute. Now, I think Starbeck are only going to need about another five, six points to be to guarantee themselves survival. They're going to find victories. They've won two of the last four games, Jonathan. Um, they're, they're such an inconsistent side. You cannot predict them. You've probably got more chance of predicting the, the national lottery results than Starbeck. But I tell you what, they always pick up a win somewhere when you're not saying where you least expect it, but they'll get a result. They've got a good manager and they've still got some decent talent within the squad. You know, they, they, unfortunately, they have lost a lot of their own uh, ability, but yeah, they signed. Well, they've got um, Sammy Skeet came back um, from, he, he was on loan last year. They signed for Buda Glint, then he come back here. They got up front Eric Bottheim, who hey, more needs to come from them. They've got a problem with striker, to be honest. They need someone to step up there. Uh, you know, this signing at Valsvik will be decent. They've got they've got they've got enough quality to finish probably mid table. Good stuff. And yeah, moving down to the relegation zone before we end this uh, section on Norway. Um Mjondal and, and Arlison are down the bottom of the table and things are sort of heating up down the bottom, aren't they? It's, 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 it, we're getting to, you know, last 10 games now, 20 games played. It's crunch time is coming, isn't it? There's a, a bit of a gap opening up, isn't there? Seven points between Arlison and Mjondalen, uh, the bottom two, and then a further four points from Mjondalen in 15th to start in 14th, four-point gap, and then another four-point gap to rack pure safety, which is Haugesund in 13th. A start in the driving seat there, and you know, I mean, it, it looks like it's curtains for Allison. Is that right to say? Do you know Allison? They're not as bad as you think these days under Large and Nielsen. I think he's played. He's been in charge for five games, and they've lost all of them. But four of the five have been by just a one goal margin, and I actually think they played all right under him. But now they've lost Fred Johnson. I think they kind of resigned to the fact that they're going to be relegated. They're the sort of side I could see them going down. And they're absolutely smashing the Obosl again next season. Do you know what I mean? Under a, under a good manager, because at the minute I could see them doing someone over soon, like surprising them. Um, but I, I think there's too much to ask. Starts are a funny side, aren't they? I mean, they just seem to. They've signed a couple of older guys in this window. Where a fella called uh, Belanios, who used to be in uh, Vancouver Whitecaps in the MLS, there. Um, so he's an interesting addition. Another old guy, Mohamed El Macrini, uh, uh, midfielder. He scored against uh, Hargerson at the week. They beat Hargerson five-one. Um, I didn't. I've not actually seen this match yet. There was there's five matches on at the five p.m. and I always like to kind of I'm out four of them and I pick a game which I don't believe is going to have much interest to me. And it was that one. So I've not seen that game yet. But it's a crazy score, five-one. Um, they just feel like a bunch of mercenaries. They start the last sort of two or three years. I mean, it looks like they're going to finish sort of third bottom and then the playoff, who knows? Mjern Darlin, I've got concerns. I, I just do. I feel like I need to do another tactical analysis on them. And 
maybe get a give a helping hand to Vegar Hansen. You know, it's um, I just feel like something could be done with them. He's almost been too negative this year. I just feel like they can maybe they could maybe still graft their way out of trouble, but. Start winning 5-1 there is a big blow to Mjerndal. And even Arlison would have fancied still catching them. But, um, yeah, there's two at the bottom. They're just losing games all the time right now. Give him a call. you got his number, haven't you? Uh, <laughs> Somewhere, I mean. Get him on the, get him on the blower. Like he, I just feel Mjerndal have lost their way a little bit this year. From Like last year, he was defensive in some games. But he mixed it up and he had a proper go in other ones. Like They're just far too on the back foot. In, in, in matches that I know they can win, like the Sanderfjord game was... I know they missed a penalty, which is big. Sarpsborg away, they just they hardly created a chance. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not knocking them for losing, uh, say, uh, you know, Volarenga at the weekend. I'm not, that's fine. It's just in those other games where they just need to have a go of it more. It's, the squad is limited, don't get me wrong, but I just you can get more out of there. Just, just please have a go in some of the games instead of sort of being this negativity. Well, they scored the fewest amount of goals in the league. They scored 15 goals in 20 games, which is, you know, rele- relegation form, let's face it. And they've lost six six in a row. Mm. So not looking too good for them. Next games are Brand and then Buda Glimt away and then Mulder at home. So, yeah, tough tough run of games coming up for Mjondalen as well. I think that's it for the, um, you know, Norway section of this podcast. Yeah. We may talk about a Norwegian in part two. I'm not going to reveal who it is. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's not quite the end of the Norwegian theme, I don't think, with this uh, episode. But uh, before, 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 we, before we do, Steve, just a quick one. Uh, Daniel Gretesen is signed for Blackpool FC. Um, Norwegian, uh, from Norwegian side, Arlesen. He's an Icelandic international. Do you have any comments on him? So quite a big quite a big move for him, isn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, he... Blackpool, it's a strange one, isn't it? Look, I mean, look, that defence has been conceding goals left, right and centre. Doesn't bode particularly well. I mean, he's not a bad player. I mean, he doesn't help that the team he's been in this year. What league are Blackpool in these days? Uh, is it League One, League Two? I'm not sure. But if that's League One level, I'm a little bit worried for Blackpool. You don't think he's League One level? I, he probably is. Yeah, maybe. But... um. Like I say, I've, I, I've not been that impressed with him this season on the field from what I've seen. I think he's more of an Obos League A sort of defender, if I'm being brutally honest. And I don't want to sound too harsh there. Um, so, I mean, what level is the Obos League A in compared to English football? Probably is sort of bottom end League One, right? So, maybe it's maybe it'll be all right. Interesting stuff, yeah. So, I mean, well, Blackpool are sort of 21st in League One at the moment, um, three points from their first four games. So not, you know, maybe faring too well, but their manager said the recruitment department has worked extremely hard to identify players and with the right attributes who will improve our squad. And Daniel fits into that category. He'll bring experience at club and international level. And he views coming to England and joining Blackpool as the next step in his career. So, yeah, maybe maybe that's a test case for you to see the level of Arlison versus bottom of League One. And we'll, we'll keep tabs on that uh, Icelandic international, as I've said. So... That just about wraps it up, but one more question for you, and that is from good friend of the podcast and loyal supporter, Jürgen Hernholm. And he asks, best signing of the Norwegian transfer window? I think the best signing is Vidar Kjartensen, that Volerenga, the striker that's moved to Volerenga, because I just think this this guy can move. They're, they've shown ambition in this window, Volerenga. They've brought in Henrik Bjerdal as well. 
I just think long-term Cartenson, and he already has scored quite a few goals for them. He's missed a couple of big chances too. But I just feel like if you get a couple of seasons out of Cartenson, he's going to bag you and he stays fit. He's going to bag you at least 15 goals every year, maybe more. He's just an all-round threat and uh, he just adds another dimension to Valerenga. So that's the signing I'm going to say is the best from this window. Great stuff. And yeah, thank you to um, Jürgen Hohenholm as ever for your support. You're you're an extremely loyal member of the pod in terms of listeners and one of the originals, I believe. So yeah, thank you for that question. And that wraps it up for part one. In part two, we're going to talk about Sweden. Uh, We're going to wrap up some of the major transfers that have been done and talk about a few of the teams who have performed well. And then we're going to cover maybe a few other bonus talking points from Scandinavian football. So join us for that. Welcome back to the Nordic Football Podcast. I'm Steve Wiss and I'm joined with uh, Jonathan for Dugba here. And uh, it's the Swedish section. We've got to talk about the transfers that have been going on in the Alsvenskan. And there's been quite a lot of movement, hasn't haven't there, uh, Jonathan? Um, what's caught your eye so far? Yeah, there's been some transfers. And I think the first place to start really is our, our um, the biggest move probably in terms of uh, maybe from an English perspective is the one to the Premier League. We've had a, a youngster from Beko Hacken has gone to Everton, top of the table. You know, the mighty blues are, are flying at the moment, aren't they? The toffees. Um, Everton fans are loving it at the moment. They're top of the iTunes charts, top of the Premier League charts. Uh, who knows what they are the top of next? But uh, they've got on top of this transfer, and it's a deal for 17-year-old Imam Yanyi uh, from Beko Hacken's academy. Now, this is a player that I talked about uh, in preseason. I put him in my offense game, 10 to watch. Uh, so I'm, I'm pretty happy from, about that. Um, from the point of view of him playing, he didn't actually play, I don't think, a single game in Osvenskan this season, maybe one at best. Um, but yeah, there's been a bit of a weird situation with him this season. So it's it's resulted in this transfer. Move was on the cards and it's been completed now. He's joined up with Everton's under-23s and his name is Imam Yanyi. Yeah, I mean, he was in your 10-to-watch pre-season. Jonathan, and uh, just briefly, what can Everton fans expect from him uh, both now and sort of in the future? What qualities do you think he could bring uh, to them? Well, he signed on a three-year deal um, until 2023. He'll go into the, like I say, the 23s. He's a very raw player, you know, and I think um, he was spotted at the Gothia Cup. Uh, I saw him when I was out there in Sweden um, at the time. Um, Quite raw, you know, a lot of raw potential is originally Gambian uh, descent. And I think that one of the things about him, of course, is he, I'm not sure he's really nailed a position down yet. I think that's one of the challenges that will come for him. Uh, he's a midfield player and there's, there's a few little strands here, which I'll, I'll go into and then, you know, round off by sort of talking about him. One of the major strands of this whole transfer and, and, and in general is because of the pandemic and COVID-19, the youth seasons were cancelled in Sweden. So there's not, there's been a lot of the youth leagues cancelled. So the sort of, you know, under 19s, under 21s, those kind of things, usually, you you know, usually Sweden is full of you know, youth games and youth leagues. And it's a really good, it's a really good country for, you know, youth football from that point of view. A lot of the leagues were cancelled. So that's left players like Yanya, who are maybe on the fringes of, of the first team at Hacken. It's left them without any football. 
So what actually happened this season is he was supposed to play for the you know the first team, but the manager of Hacken didn't really rate him enough to maybe have him in his first team squad. But there's no under 19s, so he's been in a situation where he's not played much football at all for the last sort of six months, which has obviously held back his development. Another reason for that is because um, this deal to Everton's been on the cards for quite a while. Uh, since early September, has been on the cards. Manchester United have been watching him as well, um, but you know they've 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 passed on him. Um, but yeah, he's a midfield player. Uh, I think he can, play, he can play further forward as well. You know, he's a decent crosser of the ball, so you know he can play further forward. Maybe in the future, he may may do that. But I see him as a sort of um, potential box to box sort of driving midfielder. Um, decent passer of the ball, gets on the ball. He's quite um, progressive. Uh, very determined character. You know, he's from Biscop's Garden, which is a you know, a, you know an area of Gothenburg that's quite well known. Um, you know, you get a lot of the immigrant community type thing comes comes from that section of the of the, of the city. Um, part of the city with a real flavour and character. You know, some call it a dodgy area, but I wouldn't necessarily agree. Um, but yeah, he's he's got a lot of talent, Yanyi, and I think this move's been on the cards for a while, and I think it's it's quite deserved. We see a lot of big clubs scouting these type of players in Scandinavia. I mean, you mentioned Man United there, loads of others as well. But it just never seems to me that enough of these really bigger, bigger clubs actually end up going in for them. I mean. Do you give credit here to, to Everton for sort of striking here, or is it a bit of a shot in the dark for them, you know, a risky move? I mean, I just don't see it as a risk. There's not enough of these. Why are not, more of these big clubs should be just taking more of a punt? Because there's loads of talent out there, you know, and this lad could be the latest of them. Yeah, that's a good question. And, you know, the best, the best team, the best Premier League team at scouting Scandinavia is Brighton, in my opinion, um, easily by miles. When I was out there, they probably know, you know, I know a couple of people on the ground there, um, some really good people working at Brighton who scout Scandinavia. They know pretty much every single player inside out. Um, Everton, you know, obviously a lot of clubs, you know, send scouts out. It's, it's, you know, pretty much in these days of video, most clubs know about most players. Really, it's no, there's no real hidden secrets anymore in football these days with video and the rise of things like Scout. But um, some take it more seriously than others. Uh, I think Everton, I think this speaks to their development over the last few seasons i think they've had a lot of investment of course with the, the owners that came in and uh, mashiri and of course um marcel brands you know is the, their sporting director now i believe or director of football he's in charge of their kind of recruitment and that kind of thing and then they've got carlo ancelotti i think they've got a really slick operation building there and yanni probably probably fits into that mm-hmm. in terms of the backstory to this deal it was um yeah yanni was told he's not allowed to play for the club for a couple of games and he was asking the club like why why are you holding me back from playing, basically? And the, he said he described it as being like a bit of a James Bond uh, script. You know, he, he, he wasn't sure why he wasn't playing. And, um, you know, he went to lunch and was told that when he came back from lunch that he was asking, why can't I play? And they said, we can't tell you. And then eventually they told him that the reason is because there's a Premier League club watching you and it's, and it's Everton. So um, he was absolutely delighted. He's been he's been keen to leave, really. And I think he, he's not got the first team football that he wanted. And he feels he's, even at 16, you know, he just turned 17 last week. But he... He felt he was ready for first team football already. So um, at Hacken, it's not quite happened. Hacken have had a really good season, so I don't think you can criticise Hacken if that makes sense. You know, I think they've they've done things well, but he he just didn't fit into their squad because they they've got a lot of competition. So I, I really think for all parties, this is is probably a pretty good move. And uh, yeah, you you do get some clubs who go in and watch these players and and, and don't pull the trigger for various reasons. Um, Everton have taken the chance here, and 
I think one good thing for Yanni is that, you know, he's going to go into their 23s and, and start playing football. He, he, you know, he needs it at this stage of his development um, and he'll develop. And, you know, one thing he, he's already talked about is he's already said he wants to work on his crossing. He wants to improve his left foot. So you already get the sense he knows where he wants to go in football. And, he, you know, he seems quite driven. Um, he's moving to Liverpool. He said he's going to move his mum and his brother there and settle in and kick on. And, he, you know, he wants to play in the, in the Champions League. So a driven character and I think it'll be one to watch. You, you can never guarantee with a 17-year-old where it'll go, but uh, certainly some raw potential there to be moulded by um, the coaching staff at Everton. Imam Yanya to Everton there. Um, let's uh, talk about some other uh, dealings and there's been quite a, a few departures out of the league as per usual and, and actually some decent money been racked up as well. Uh, just uh, a few to mention here, Leonard Zuta, left-back from uh, Hecken, gone to Lecce in uh, Italy, £650,000. Jesper Carlsen uh, to AZ Alkmaar from Elfsborg, £2.34 That is quite a large fee, really, for uh, an Alsvenskan uh, striker there. And um, Rasmus Lauritsen has moved to Dinamo Zagreb from Norge, being £1.26 I know you were very interested to talk about that particular deal. Yeah, Lauritsen, for me, I think there's a, a strong argument he's been the best defender in Osvenskan this season, best best defender in the league. Uh, a huge blow for Norshoping, in my opinion, losing him. And they lost today without him 2-1 against uh, Sirius. So, you know, they lost at home and, and that's pretty much them done for the, for the title this season. Although, you know, you could argue it was way off the cards anyway. But, uh, you know, you may remember, Steve, they had an incredible start to the season. You know, they started so well and looked look so good for a long time. Lauritsen was a huge part of that. Uh, a towering presence in both boxes. He scored so many goals. He was very good for your fantasy team if you had him. Um, he was my captain for a while and he banged in a lot of headers from corners and that kind of thing. Very dangerous in the box. Um, defensively as well, got his head on things, clearances, um, sort of a rugged defender, no nonsense. Um, and, you know, kind of reminded me of like a, I wouldn't say he's as good as Nemanja Vidic, but kind of that kind of mould of player, you know, um, a sort of tall, robust robust player who can who can put his body on the line. Um, I think it's a good move for, for Dinamo Zagreb. I think it's a good bit of scouting. Um, they picked him up from Denmark. He's a Danish player. Uh, they picked him up from Vegele for, I think, 180 grand. And they flipped him on now for about 1.5 million euros. So, um, you know, from that point of view, I think it's one of the biggest top three, maybe, transfers in North Shore Mix history in terms of uh, funds coming in. So they couldn't really turn it down in, you know, in this financial climate. Um, they had to let him go and, and, and they'll see off the season without him. But it is a big blow for them to lose him in terms of the rest of this season. It will it will knock them because he he was a really influential player. Yeah, that's going to be a blow. I mean, I, I say one point two six million seems like a decent amount. Maybe they could could have got more uh, for him there. It sounds like he's had a hell of a good uh, year. Uh, we have a few more transfers here. Marcus Antons. I didn't even notice this one actually. He's uh, moved to uh, Starbeck on loan from uh, Malma. Um, Antonsen, he's not bad, is he? he? He could be able to do a job there uh, for, for them. And uh, Vladimir Rodic has uh, moved on loan to Odd from Hammerby. I mean, what can you tell us about Rodic, uh, John? Yeah, he's not been getting a huge amount of game time as as much as he would probably want, I think, this season. Um, quite a versatile player. He's you know right sided. Um, Hammerby have decided to let him sort of seek seek maybe more regular more regular first team minutes. Uh, so. I think it's an interesting move for for for, for to Norway. I'll, I'll be I'll be keen to know how he gets on, um, see how he adapts because I think there is a player there and he's you know he's had some some very good games, but um, 
you know, at his age, I think he needs to be playing games, and I think he's he's taken that opportunity to to maybe go go to Norway. So obviously, one of those cross cross party transfers, isn't it? You know, you'll have to look after him and and let me know how he gets on. Primarily, primarily a sort of right mid or right winger. Um, just turned twenty seven, I believe, or twenty six, and yeah, not been as prominent as he would have liked to be this season. I think for for Hammerby. I think he'll probably go quite well. It sounds like he'll fit into the odd system there. I mean, just before we move on to sort of talking about the league, any other transfer do you really like to talk about there in the Asvenskin? Um, well, I think well, Antonsen wasn't getting much game time at Malmo, so that's one that you, you've mentioned. Uh, Jesper Carlsen is probably one of the biggest moves. Um, he's gone to join Akon Evian. I think he was one of the standout players in, in the league, to be honest. he's He's been been really, really good. I think he deserves his move. You know, in terms of expected goals, he was fifth. In, he's fifth in the league. Um, Carlson, he's always had potential. You know, and expected goals and assists, he's fourth. And in terms of goals and assists combined, he's 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 joint top of the of the of the Svenskan along with Christopher Niemann and Stefano Vecchia. So, yeah, it's a big talent le- leaving the league. I think he'll go well. I think uh, at 22 years old, he's got the potential to improve. I think you know, Dutch teams don't tend to sort of come to Scandinavia unless they really feel strongly about a player, do they? Um, so I think they've they've got a player there. It's a bit of a blow for Elsborg, but the money involved meant it had to happen. And um, yeah, wish him well. There's another uh, Dutch player. Well, another another Sweden moving to 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 the Netherlands, and that's uh, our friend Benjamin Negren. Oh yes, I saw that tweeted. Uh, I mean, is that a loan deal or a transfer? Yeah, so it's a two-year loan with an option to buy. He's he's leaving Belgium. It's not not quite worked out for him in Belgium, but. Uh, Good, pretty, yeah, pretty good scouting from here in Veen to, to pick him up. I think he's a fantastic talent still, and I think there's a player there. So uh, from my point of view, I think it's a really good bit of business for here in Veen. I think they'll be able to work with him, maybe, you know, maybe a little bit less pressure. Um, you know, there's no pressure in terms of that big money move that he made. Maybe he can go to a different environment, adapt. Here in Veen have made quite a good start to the season, I think, in, in the Eredivisie. Um, but yeah, it's too long with an option, so it looks like he'll be there for, for at least... You know, good, good while, get a chance to settle, and you know, real talent there. If someone can mould him properly, because you know, for for EF Core, he was he was fantastic. Yeah, I think that's a good league to go to. You know, wide open, loads of chances, and hopefully he gets good game time there and actually proves how good he is again. Um, really, but uh, yeah, well, so let's just move on to the actual league itself. Malmo are clear at the top, um, nine clear actually right now. Although Hecken do have a game in hand. Uh, so it's looking good for Malmo. Um, Hecken, I say, in second. Norshipping in third. Ellsberg fourth. And then we've got a bunch of teams sort of packed. Um, Ellsberg, Sirius, Yoga. And we've got a couple of listener questions, actually, about those two teams that I just want to uh, ask you about. Um, the first one is, will Sirius be on the podium? Uh, Jonathan, that was from Marek Vadas. Uh, or Wadas. Uh, will, will IK Sirius finish on the podium this season? It's a good question. After after today, I mean, Norshipping took the lead after 37 minutes. Simon Tan uh, to Christopher Neiman, he made it one 0 But the um, you know it was not long lived that 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 lead. Yukia Sagita, one of the best players in the league this season, in my opinion, uh, one of the breakout players anyway in terms of just star names. who sort of seems to have come from nowhere. Um, he equalised, and then Sirius took the lead through Mohamed Said, another one who's had had a really good season. Um, they win 2-1 now and it means that they're one point away from a European place, the team from uh, Uppsala. Uh, seems to be a really, really good vibe about Sirius this season. Just everyone seems to be enjoying their football. 
Um, Mohamed Saeed, who scored the winner, said we're having a really good season and a lot of fun together. Um, you know, we're taking it game by game. They've got a lot of players really look, pulling up trees. Stefano Vecchia, I just mentioned, you know, he's been a player who's just sort of grown this season. 14 goals and assists combined um, for the 25-year-old. They've got a lot going for them at this moment in time. And listen, finishing top three will be an unbelievable achievement. Uh, I think it would be the highest position in their history by some distance. Um, you know, just a couple of examples. They've got the second top passer in the league in terms of in in, in uh, Tim Bjorkstrom. They've got a lot of good things going about. They've got a really nice passing style. Um, they might be a player, a team, sorry, that I might might cover in a wise cup blog coming up. But um, yeah, there's a lot to like about about Sirius this season. I'm not sure they'll finish top three. If I'm honest, I think I think they'll get pipped. But uh, I'm only basing that on the fact that other teams maybe have a bit more experience. But uh, in terms of you know who's playing who's playing the best and who's who's been sort of quite consistent, Sirius have been consistently pretty pretty solid this year. So you know they've got contenders. I think Eurogarden will still be a contender. I think Hammerby ha- haven't run their race yet. I think they've got a little bit more to offer. Elsborg might have a dip now. They've lost you know a few players, but um, they're in with a chance. That's for sure. Interesting stuff. And there was another question. This is from. Uh... La Bitia Cora del FPL. Why's um, this Spanish accent there? <laughs> thanks very much for the question. Um, will Jorgen be back this season after heartbreaking in Europe? Yeah, it was a tough tough result for them. We, we talked about it on the last podcast, so go back on to uh, iTunes or uh, Spotify or however you get your podcasts and have a little listen back if you want a breakdown of, of that game where they were knocked out by, by Kluge. Um I don't think they'll. I don't think they'll make uh, Europe, but I think they'll be very close. I think they've got a good chance. I, I said they. I, I, th- I said I think they could finish top three, but they've just hit the buffers a little bit in in recent weeks. Um, not won a game in six, so a lot of them, in fairness to them, have been draws. But uh, they drew the derby this 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 past weekend. One with Hammerby, uh, last minute goal from Jesper Nihom, um to throw it away. Tankovic scored, and that's probably his last goal for. For Hammerby because he's off to Greece, but um, yeah, your garden rescued it in the last minute. But uh, yeah, they, they've not won since August, so fifteenth uh, of August when they beat Orebro. So just hit the buffers a bit. I thought they were looking good for for a European place, but they they're going to need to pick up some form in this last you know round of games. The next games are Malmo and Sirius, and then Hacken. So you know, give it three weeks, we'll know pretty much if they're going to be able to to pull it off or if they're going to be fall by the wayside. M- my opinion, I think they'll be third or fourth. Interesting uh, about that. Let's just one more team I know you really want to talk about in this episode, and that is Ustersund, who are currently in ninth spot, and uh, they've done pretty well considering all the off off the field drama they've had in the last couple of years. To be, they look like they're going to be safe this year, don't they? I mean, I know you've been really impressed with what you've seen um, on the field in the last couple of months, um, and how they managed to turn things around from being basically this sort of you know, doom and gloom relegation candidate to pretty safe mid-table. Well, they're a hated club, aren't they? They're the, they're the sort of this AFC Eskilstuna now of Sweden. Whenever you mention Ostersons, you're likely to get a raft of angry, you know, Malmo or Jurgarden or, or AIK fans or someone um, having a dig at them because they're, they're not popular. You know, they've, they've let's say, skirted the, the boundaries of the rules in terms of Swedish, you know, 50 plus one rule, that kind of thing, the financial rules. And there's been a lot of controversies around their their owner and you know the financial problems. 
So I can understand why teams don't like them, but you know, we have to deal with them on merit on the pitch as well. When we, when we, when we talk about them on the podcast and let's be fair, you know, despite their lousy economy and despite their terrible sort of um, headlines over the last year or so, they're doing quite well. They've been one of the best teams in Ospenskan in, 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 in recent months. Um, it has to be said. Um, of course, Ian Birchnell left the club earlier in the season. But, you know, the new manager, to be fair to him, I, th- I think when we talked about them at the time when Birchnell was sacked, we kind of ridiculed him because he didn't have his um, coaching badges. And, and you know, I... I downgraded my prediction for them for the season um, to 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 maybe even look, be looking at relegation, but uh, no, not at all. They've 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 really done well, and I have to give praise to um, as as Rashan, who's come from the fourth division club, a fourth division club. Uh, so I don't know how they've picked him up, but um, he he certainly built a team there, and they haven't lost since July. Uh, sorry, they've only lost once since July against Elfsborg, and they've gone eight straight games now without defeat. So he started to build a real solid mentality there. He's talked about. Um, building a, a value-based culture. That's what he's called it. Um, and he said that it's not. we don't want to build a club that's just based on results. We also want to build a club that's based on kind of values and, and a learning environment. Um, those are his words. And about constantly having a mindset where we focus on our strengths. So he's talked a good game, in fairness to him, and um, he's started to get some results. There's been a few English players doing, doing fairly well. Do you know Baptiste has been scoring goals and, um, you know, Blair Turgut's doing quite well as well. So yeah, you know, Austin's have not done anywhere nearly near as badly as maybe some might have predicted when when Birchner left. Yeah, I mean, fair play to them. Um, you know, there's certainly there's some sides that have moved up towards mid table. I think Urubro and another example there looked like they were going to be in a relegation battle early in the season, but they've, they've got out of trouble, and we're left with a situation where it looks like Falkenberger in, uh, definitely in a mess, Kalmar uh, as per usual, and then. At the minute Helsingborger in the third bottom spot with uh, maybe IFK and IE Core still in, in slight danger, but looking like they're pulling away from it. Yeah, I mean, I should just add they lost they lost this weekend at Osterson, so that was the end of their eight game run. Um, AIK beat them two one away, which was quite a big result for AIK, AIK who who were turning things around slowly. But yeah, like I say, they went eight eight games unbeaten, and in that run they had five wins. So you know, uh, fair play to Osterson. In terms of the relegation battle. Every single time you think that EF Core or AIK could could go down, Helsingborg, Kalmar throw it away. So, you know, I think I think those two big boys are going to get away with it this season. Um, I think Helsingborg, <clears throat> they're looking like the team that will, you know, um, be in that relegation playoff. Maybe Kalmar looking, they always find their way out of it, but don't they? But this season is going to be tough for them because there's seven games to go. And they've got to get above EF Court and AIK. These aren't teams that they usually compete against. It's, it's big clubs. Mm. Um, you know, they've got to pull a, a five-point deficit to get out of this. But that's against EF Court. So, you're, you know, you, with a new manager at EF Court now, Roland Nielsen, are they really going to slip that much? It's looking difficult. So, Kalmar, they're going to pull off the magic escape. This is the time to start showing it. Yeah. Right. Well, I'm going to end it on the Swedish uh, front there. We're just going to talk about a couple more things before the end of the episode. And, I just want to give a, a big shout out to a friend of the podcast, Tom Dent, who was a guest on the Nordic Football Podcast a year or so ago, uh, coach up that Buda Glimt. Um, this week it was confirmed that he will be taking over as head coach of the uh, current Obos Ligan side, Stördels uh, Blink. Um, and uh, Tom, I do know, worked there uh, back there a few years ago. I think he was assistant manager. 
but he uh, has signed a four-year contract. He will be taking over duties at the start of uh, 2021. Their, their current manager will finish the season, Roar Vikvang, and then uh, Vikvang will be taken over as head coach at Rosenborg's Academy. So uh, Sturgill, Sturgill Blink, <laughs> my pronunciation is terrible there. They're a club based in the uh, Trondheim region. Um, so they're sort of in the Rosenborg, you know, Randheim sort of area. Um, and Dent said this, uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, starting. I'm glad I've been given this opportunity, but until January, I will stay away and let players and coaching staff concentrate on the rest of the season. Now, at the minute, they are in seventh place in the Obostel again. Um, so sort of relatively comfortable mid-table, but only two points off the playoffs. So, look, Tom Dent, could, who's only 29 year old, by the way, so this is absolutely fantastic for him. Really great up-and-coming coach, uh, we have to say. Um, whenever I've been in contact with Tommy, he comes across really, really well. I think he can go superbly, but it's not inconceivable that he could be in charge of an elitisarian club when he takes over. Yeah, we've had him on the show before. It was quite early in the back in the day, wasn't it? We we had him on and had a really great chat with him. He even joined us to talk about one of our, I think during one of our previews at one point, I believe, or definitely one of the early episodes. But uh, yeah, he's going to be a busy man now. So, you know, I'm sure his calendar is going to be a bit, bit, bit more full. A few more media requests these days now as a head coach. Yeah, I was really happy when I saw the news. You know, it's, it's great to see people who've come on the show progress their careers and, and move on. Um, good friend of the pod and, you know, definitely wish him well. It's going to be, I don't know, I can't say I know much about the team he's joined, um, but I'll certainly be keeping an eye on them now. So, yeah, we we definitely want to give a, a warm Nordic football podcast uh, well wishes to, to Tom Dent in his new role. Yeah, and, you know, I don't really follow the Obosl again that much, but if they were to be in that league next year, I would certainly keep an eye out a lot more because uh, it's certainly a bit more of an interest with, a, you know, a British coach there in charge um, and, and the very best of luck uh, to Tom. So um, so that's that bit of business out of the way and we're going to have to finish the, the, the podcast with another bit of business. Um, and we did do a podcast roughly a couple of years ago, um, a, talk, a full one actually uh, in depth about uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's um, move to Manchester United, which, you know, it's a big thing for any Norwegian uh, manager to be in charge of one of the biggest clubs in the world. And uh, I know there's a few things you might want to get off your chest here, Jonathan, but I feel it's a good time to be talking about sort of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, Manchester United, um, two years on, you know, the good things, the bad things. Um, and 6-1 loss to Spurs at the weekend. Um, I mean, is this worrying for Ole? Is it worrying for the club? You know, what's going on? Yeah, it's coming up to two years in charge, so probably a good a good time to maybe have a have a quick talk about him. I mean, if anyone follows me on Twitter, then I apologise because I think I've had ninety percent tweets about Manchester United in the past few days, as my patience wears ever thinner. Um, so probably a good time to just get it out of my system now. Um, but yeah, no, uh, Solskjaer's an interesting one, isn't he? Because we, I mean, obviously we we've named a Patreon tier after him. You know, one of our Patreon tiers is the Oleg and the Solskjaer tier. He's a he's a legend of Norwegian football. Um, some people criticise him to a certain extent, but I do think it's fair to say. I think there was a poll that said he's the most famous Norwegian ever at one point, um, many years ago, European Cup winning player. Um, but yeah, well, in terms of Manchester United, it's. It, I don't know if anyone saw the six-one against Spurs, but uh, I, I definitely felt a bit like Patrice Ever after after the game um, with his comments that you know he wants to end his contract with Sky and and just 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 leave because he never wants to talk about Man United ever again. Um, I don't know really what to say, Steve. To be honest, I'm 
transfer windows just shut and uh, you know as a, as, a, as a former season ticket holder i'm i'm at the end of my tether yeah i mean there's, there's clearly problems off the field for manchester united on the field as well uh, with, with Oli, i couldn't believe what i was seeing with, with the 6-1 i mean uh, i just want to i want to start off actually talking with tactics uh, with Oli because it's interesting to me i think personally pre-game i think he actually comes up with he's come up with some very good tactical plans in the, in the last couple of years especially against sort of when united are underdogs or sort of 50 50 in a game and, and they've worked out well but other things i think haven't been very good especially if you need to break break a side down stuff like that in-game substitutions tactics can be a bit concerning i mean on a tactical level because end of the day manchester united long term you want to have one one of the best managers in the world you know could you see a case in a few years say he was still at united where he's one of the top sort of 10 coaches in, in the world no i think this will be his last season at manchester united in my opinion um I'll be very surprised if he's manager at the start of next season, uh, and I'll give my reasons why. I think he's been hang out to dry by the board. I think this will be the beginning of the end for him now. Um, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you know we'll be sitting here in a year's time, and you know the listeners can kind of call me out and call me an idiot. But uh, I, I, I think this is the beginning of the end now. I think you know this is a sort of a wider wider discussion i suppose because i remember when he was at Molden and, and we, in that episode when he did join united we talked about his tactical approach and you know how he'd done at Molder, won a league title of course and you know we asked could he manage it at such a big club and he he had such an incredible start didn't he at united he got the feel good factor back back you know brought some academy players through and you know the famous ole's at the wheel song you know and things were going well but you know I think he'll be gone and the reason that I say that is because I just think that Manchester United are stuck in a cycle of failure um, and I think it's a cycle that has a very predictable path hire a manager he get into the Champions League once you're in the Champions League don't back him then you have the expectations of the next season that aren't met then to deflect the attention from the real problem sack the manager start start all over again and I think we've entered that phase now of Champions League and don't back your manager. I think not getting Jaden Sancho is just an obvious error. I think, you know, one of the top talents in the world. OK, maybe we're in a pandemic. So, you know, maybe that's I, th I think sometimes people probably look at United fans and think it's kind of a spoiled brat type thing. Like, oh, why don't you just paid 120 million pounds or why are you talking about finances? But you have to bear in mind, Steve, that Manchester United have paid hundreds and hundreds of millions of pounds in in the past sort of 15 years uh on interest payments for for the owners literally just interest resurfacing debt uh, and paying off you know um debt that shouldn't be there manchester united are one of the most richest clubs in the world in terms of revenue earners so I, I always liken it to this it's like me coming to your house and saying listen steve i'm gonna have to ask you to leave your house i now own your house um i'm gonna pay you back in the next 20 years uh with the debt payments that i've taken out on the mortgage of your house but uh for now, get out of your house. I own it, and then I just pay you back on interest payments every year, and and that's that's how that's sort of how it is. And I'll rent it out, and uh, the money I get in rent, I'll give to you eventually, and, and that's how I look at it, you know. So Manchester United are a hugely rich club, but um, they repeatedly don't back the manager when when it's time to do it. So I think with Solskjaer, there's such glaring errors in that squad that um, you know it's a failure at the board level, and in terms of the no director of football, that kind of thing. I think he's going to find it really, really hard with the squad he's got to um, to uh, get that team into the level that they need to be, which is probably Champions League. 
Do you think that Solskjaer is just not able to thrive in that current environment at United and show his true potential as a manager? Or is there really a world-class manager there in the making if he was in the right environment? I don't think any manager can, can succeed at Manchester United in, in the current uh, environment. Obviously, there's been criticisms about Solskjaer as a coach. You, you probably know more about that because you saw him close quarters at, at Mulder. I mean, I've seen enough of him now to know. I, I've got questions. I think what you said two years ago on the podcast was 100% spot on. You talked about um, in-game changes. I think my biggest criticism of Solskjaer, even though he did a, I thought he did a fantastic job last season getting the team into, into third place. Um, but I think... When it came to the crunch, key games in you know three semi-finals, I think he was uh, his in-game substitutions are questionable. I don't think he for someone who 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 built his who built his niche on being a super sub. I, I don't think he's um I don't think he's quite in, incisive enough in terms of tactical changes during the game or or substitutions to change a game. I don't think he sees the flow of a game uh, well enough. Sometimes he does, but I think more often than not, especially in the big key games like semi-finals the severe game I, I can think of what as one example um whether it's because he doesn't have the personnel or just whether he's not quite there um i don't think he quite gets the those key moments right to win a title at, um, at united or a champions league and i think that's where he's going to be judged now and, and i think the, the squad isn't there at this moment in time to to, to to deliver that um so you know if someone had told me at the beginning of the summer that united would wait till deadline day and sign a 33-year-old on a free transfer, I would have, I would have laughed, but I would have also said I think it's entirely predictable, and so the, this is the situation we're in. Um, and yeah, I do worry. I feel for Solskjaer because, you know, the manager that beat him six-one yesterday was, was Jose Mourinho. Mourinho was beaten three-nil by Pochettino uh, at Old Trafford when Spurs beat them three-nil, and and it was the same thing. The comments were Mourinho is not a good enough manager, um, but I think Mourinho had the same issue. He, he's not supported by the board. Um, the board asked for Harry Maguire. Uh, Mourinho asked for Harry Maguire and the centre back when he finished second. He wasn't backed by the club, and you know then they gave him a new contract and then they sacked him <laughs> and paid him off. I mean, um, the thing with Maguire was Mourinho wanted him, and they th I think they could have got him for Leicester for like forty-five million around that time. Something it was roughly half of what United paid eventually. I mean, how the hell do you get into that sort of position? It just feels to me like the, the transfer strategy in the last i don't know three or four years maybe even longer it's just been appalling i mean there have been the odd gem hit upon and fernandez was a very good signing in january um i actually have a feeling cavani may work work out all right although i i suspect it's more by look than 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 design um but i, I yeah i mean this has to come back to i mean ed woodward should he be sacked surely he, he's got to go yeah, I mean, it's it's difficult, isn't it? Because you, you never want to. Although I'm although I'm pretty clear on where the problem is, I, I'd never call for. You know, I don't want to out outwardly call for people to lose their jobs or anything like that. But but at, at the end of the day, um, you know, he, he's the highest paid director in the Premier League, and with that comes, I think, a responsibility. I think United are just stuck in a cycle. Is every single season is the same outcome? It is literally. I know exactly what the next three weeks will bring. There'll be leaks to the media about Cavani and the maybe the athletic and you know the other you know the guardian or wherever it'll be articles about how the magnificent negotiation skills to sign cavani and and uh, you know alex tellez um you know and the, the the impact of social media how much engagement it got when the deal was announced on deadline day and how many hashtags there were talking about manchester united but you know you're kidding no one to be honest it, it, what happens on the pitch is, is what matters 
and it's consistently the same thing. If Cavani's a good player, why didn't why not why not bring him in a, week, a month ago on a free transfer and get him in training? He'd be ready now. Could have come on against Tottenham when Martial was sent off. I think that Solskjaer probably gave his targets to the club very very early, and they've they've it looks like they've not got a, at least the key one, Sancho. So, you know, you talk about Cavani. There's only one. Of, there's only one player at a club who can, who's a consistent crosser, and that's Alex Tellez potentially, and he's only just joined. Who else is going to cross the ball to Cavani for? You know, he's famously good in the air. Who actually crosses the ball at that club? Nobody. There's not one single player in the club who can who can cross the ball like consistently on the wing. Cavani's a very interesting uh, sign. I, I want to talk about him actually because I've followed him in French football. A lot. I, I do rate him as a player. Um, some people don't, but um, I rate him. He's a determined character, very experienced. He knows where the goal is. He's a fox in the box, but he's a good sort of complete striker. Maybe he lacks a little bit of pace these days, but, you know, he's 33-year-old. He's got to make an impact straight away. You know, if he doesn't do something within six months, it's a flop. Um, but uh, he's an interesting player. I, I, I can't help think it is a panic signing, though. As much as I think they've kind of looked out in this, I agree with you. You should be looking to bring in a player like this straight away in the window, and it would you know, settle him in and he would have got game time out of him already. But yeah, unfortunately, you're right. It does seem a bit of a mess. We're in a situation where, I mean, a player's wife has been on Twitter Twitter this evening to uh, slagging off the club, hasn't she? So that's the sort of situation United are in. And and you think, Oli, he he will either be sacked at some point this year or the end of the season. I think I think what what happens with Manchester United is that the, the, the positive feeling that's been generated over the last sort of six months or so you know, the negativity comes during the transfer window. It's always during the transfer window. Um, January was the same thing. United were in a, a semi-final against Manchester City in the in the in the Carabao Cup. And if Bruno Fernandes had played in that game, there's a good chance United would have gone to the final and maybe won a trophy. But they haggled, haggled, and haggled till the deadline day of January, and then paid whatever Sporting Lisbon wanted anyway. So the haggling was completely pointless, and he missed a key game that could have maybe ended in in, in a trophy. The same things happened now. Um, you know, the positive feeling of finishing third has, has been kind of washed away by this stream of negativity just from the constantly terrible negotiating and haggling and just plain faced like desperation in the transfer market year after year. And that creates that negative feeling now. You know, the, the season's not been good from the, on the pitch already, two defeats. But that negative feeling is there now. So I think I think Sartre's just got a really, really tough job to turn this around. You know, he's going to have to get to January with no right winger. Uh, essentially, because they they've signed a player, but he's he can't join until January, an eighteen year old. So, you know, obviously, I wish him well, and I hope the club does well. But I think until the the director of football situation and and the recruitment is properly addressed, and they get some real canny operators, and I think you know, in terms of wider debate, if we widen this out to Scandinavia and clubs in in Scandinavia as well, it, I think it it really hits home. You need good recruitment as a club to really achieve your ambitions. That's the bottom line of this. You, you have to have uh, a, a, a good fluidity and functioning recruitment system to go with the manager's desires. And I think you can look at Svenskan and I can look at the teams who are quite good at recruitment and I can look at the teams who are not so good at recruitment <clears throat> and the edge it can give you. And um, I think Man United are just stuck in that cycle. They're not good at recruitment whatsoever. They're, they're probably one of the worst in the Premier League, in my opinion, uh, in terms of operations in recruitment. And it ends up, Having a, a drip drip effect on the pitch uh, and breeds negativity that filters onto uh, into the you know from the fans to the to the to the club in my opinion. I just want to finish by talking about that Jaden Sancho uh, situation because if one player could have turned the whole window around for United, I mean, 
what was how much exactly did Dortmund want and how much were United willing to pay? It kind of feels like you mentioned Fernandez and they haggled down right to the last minute there. Did they kind of believe that they could just wear down Dortmund in a similar fashion, do you think? And this time it's backfired. Yeah, I mean, I think... I mean, you don't, you don't have to read the art of negotiation, too many art of negotiation books to, to understand the art of negotiation. Do you? If you've got an asking price and you set your asking price, you know, by all reports, Dortmund set their asking price and say, we have a deadline of August the 10th. If you haven't signed in by August the 10th, it's all over because we have our own pre-season and our season to prepare for. And the club felt arrogant enough to, to wait till three days before the deadline to bid 30 million less than the asking price. Um, you know, in, in any in any environment, I just think unless you have some sort of leverage and you know what you're doing, that's just desperation. You know, they, as soon as the bid came in, it was instantly rejected. I mean, what, what does that tell you? It, you know, from my point of view, it's just it, it's it's so transparently obvious now where the problem lies at United in terms of recruitment. It, it's just haphazard all the time. Um, you can go back to Bruno Fernandez. You can go back to Marouane Fellaini in 2013 when the club. Uh, for Fellaini, his first signing of David Moyes, he had a 30 million buyout. He had, I think, a 28 million buyout clause that expired. Um, Manchester United waited till after the clause had expired and paid out the, the higher bar, uh, buyout clause. <laughs> so uh, the negotiations are a complete shambles under Woodward and, and the Glazers. There's no doubt about that. Um, you know, and Sancho, I think they've missed out now on a, on a talent potentially who his price may may end up going up, or you know, there'll be more competition for him because he is a very good player. Um, but I'm not saying he's the answer. But at the end of the day, you, doing a business every single year on deadline days is, is, you know, just just and signing players on free transfers. It, it was a Galo in January. It was, you know, Falcao before that. Di Maria players like that. It's, it never seems to work out. Um, if we widen it again out to, like I say, Scandinavia to wrap it up, um, you've got a glaring hole there in the centre back position. Victor Lindelof. There's a, there's started to be a lot of question marks about him now. The former uh, Vasteras player. And, you know, he's got a lot to prove now, the Swedish international, because, um, you know, Eric Bailly took his place and, and, and that didn't work out either. But there's there's question marks about Lindelof and Maguire. So, yes, it's, it's you know, like I say, this is a bit of a divergence from um, Swedish football, but uh, obviously Saltzjar, from his point of view, I hope he's still there next season because he's, he's a club legend. But I think it's going to be, with the, with the other teams strengthening Spurs, Arsenal, Chelsea, I think it's going to be a very difficult season for United now. Yeah, I do. I'll be honest. I don't see United finishing the top four myself now. Um, you know, I just don't. I just think other teams have, have got the an edge there um, going forward. I mean, it should be top six, you would think, but I just feel like there's probably four better now than yeah. United um, going forward. I think one thing I'll just say to wrap it up. I guarantee you, to anyone listening, you will see briefs in the, to the media in the next two weeks about how good the club did in the transfer market. You'll see briefs about Pochettino. You'll see briefs about the manager. You'll read sort of articles about you know how the club did their business and how great it was. How many how many uh, tweets the announcement video got? It's the same pattern every single time. They'll they'll pat themselves on the back to the media, thinking they've done a great job, and then you know we'll get to we'll get to sort of December and it'll all start again. It's mad, isn't it? I mean, I just don't get why you willing if you're willing to fork out ninety million on someone, you might as well just give you the thirty million straight away. Just get on with it. It baffles me, but uh, yeah, well, a bit of a well, an interesting end to the podcast there. We should do like a Premier League podcast one time, uh, Jonathan. <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of them around, isn't there? 
<laughs> There's so much to talk about in, in, in the Premier League. It's, it's crazy. But, uh, hey, yeah, bumper edition of this episode of the Nordic uh, Football Podcast. Doesn't look great long-term for Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, according to our man Jonathan Fadugba there. Um, but, yeah, I hope you all enjoy the episode. Um, I feel like we got through an awful lot today. And uh, wishing everyone uh, a really good, uh, enjoyable international break. Sorry we haven't had time to preview some. Uh, and in Norway, I've got a big game coming up in, in the uh, Euro playoffs and stuff like that. What's your prediction? Uh, I, well, I think I think they've got the ability to do it. I, I really hope they have as well. I, I, I'm going to back them to, to get through. Norway, Serbia. Yeah, it's better how good and Patrick Berg in the squad. The tough game, isn't it? The first one's the tough game. Yeah. And then would it be Israel or Scotland, I believe? Uh, That's right. I mean, you've got to think Serbia are the best out of those three. But um, they've got the players now, Norway. They've got to make sure they deliver it um, going forward. But yeah, I mean, hopefully everyone enjoys the international break. Um, And then obviously we go back to domestic matters and European matters as well going forward. Um, And there'll be plenty of episodes of the Nordic Football Podcast to keep you busy um, in the next few weeks. Yeah, bumper show. We've covered transfers. We've covered the le- both leagues. We've covered Europe. We've covered Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and a bit of Manchester United talk there as well. I've had a good little rant there. Got it off my chest. So uh, we'll be back soon. And you know, by by the time we come back, you know, we'll be able to look at the run-in for Malmo and Be- and uh, Buda Glimt, who look like potentially being crowned champions this season. So thanks a lot to everyone. Um, we're on Twitter at Nordic Footpod. Uh, I am at Twitter JF Football F U T B O L. And Steve is at Meat Man Soccer. He loves a bit of meat, don't you, Steve? And um, you can catch the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast in general. And of course, patreon.com slash Nordic Football Podcast if you want to support us with a cheeky beer, uh, maybe even a shot of Sambuca or, you know, uh, Jager Bomb to, to get me over this miserable window for my club. A fillet steak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, thanks a lot. And I hope you enjoyed the show. Once again, it's been great. Uh, spending time with you, Steve, and I hope we've provided some value for you guys. Yes, well, we'll cheer up, my old friend, and um, we'll uh, speak. To, we'll we'll speak again in the next uh, episode. But thanks, everyone. Take care. Stay safe, and goodbye.